From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me today is someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, ESPN's George Sedano. George, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the very inappropriately named World's Fastest Growing Sports Media Podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. Hey, Robert, how are you? I'm happy to be on. It's uh, my honor and a pleasure. So, uh, so it's great to have you. And uh, you're nearing six years at ESPN. And you've had a pretty great career so far, at least from the outside looking in. And uh, the story of you coming up in radio in Miami, winding up at 790 The Ticket with uh, Lebetard, Stugatz, Boog, uh, is a great story and one I'm happy to talk about. Um, but I thought the podcast you did with Ryan Glassbeagle uh, last summer, and I'll link to it in the podcast description, uh, did a great job with that story. And there's this other thing that I'm really curious about. And if it borders on nosiness, I told you this offline, feel free to smack me. But uh, you are around the horn last week. And uh, someone I know said something to me that was to the effect of, George is a real up-and-comer at ESPN. Keep your eye on that guy. And my first thought was, George has a drive-time radio show in the country's second biggest market. He's already here. Uh, but people's perception around TV and radio are different and very inter- in a very interesting way to me. And uh, you're George Sedano. You've been in the radio business for 20 years. When your smiling face shows up on people's TVs, what happens to you? Uh, I think it's an interesting dichotomy, right, as you pointed out. In radio, I'm kind of this wily veteran, right, who's been around the block, who's worked in major markets, who's worked nationally twice. And uh, on TV, look, I'm a relative newbie. Um, You know, I got to start... Uh, locally in Miami on television, doing weekend sports at the CBS O&O just to get camera time and start to get comfortable. And then in my time in Bristol, uh, my television time was mostly filling in as Mike Greenberg's backup on Mike and Mike. And I was uh, the primary fill-in in my time there on shows like First Take for Stephen A. and Skip at the right. time and, and Mike and Jamel on his and hers. So I really don't have a ton of television experience, but it, it's kind of morphed into a big part of what I do. And the good thing is, is that I do uh, a lot of different things for the company on television now, which has given me just kind of this, this real life hands-on experience that I don't think most people get at this level. And I'm super, um, you know, man, like I'm not only proud of the work I do, but I'm super, super thankful of the opportunity that the company has given me to grow on television at this level, you don't usually grow when you're at the major leagues, right? Like right. when you get to this level, usually they expect uh, a certain amount of output from you, especially for a television company, but they have allowed me to grow. They've allowed me to grow as an opinionist. They've allowed me to grow as a host, which I think is probably my, um, my more natural position. Right. But it's weird because I've done radio for 20 years. I can do both of those fairly easily. And I've, I've kind of been able to morph those together on TV, which has been kind of fun too. So, you know, just curious, but I mean, and and I mean this with with exactly how it sounds. You have a face that's pretty okay for TV. Do do you ever think maybe maybe TV wouldn't be so bad if I, you know, if I got like a gig like Kornheiser or Wolbon, that that wouldn't suck. Like, how, how do you think about all that stuff? Oh, well, listen, I mean, if that came about, then, you know, I just look at it this way. Um. You know, I, I feel like Tony Kornheiser is a perfect example. Tony Kornheiser did a radio show for a really long time while doing PTI. And <laughs> so he's still doing if, the podcast. Could, right. And he still does the, uh, the Mr. Tony Show podcast there. And, and I, I just think that both mediums are, 
are fascinating for different reasons, right? I think on television, clearly, you make a larger impact. You can cut through uh, to more viewers. Like, it's, it's about quantity. But on radio, I do think there's a thing about, the way I would call it is quality time, right? And you, you can really relate to people on a different level on radio because you've got so much more time on your hands. Like, you know, in my particular case, I do three and a half hours each and every day of radio on my own. And I do 30 minutes of crosstalk with the show before me. So I'm on the air for four hours a day. And for most of my career, I've been on three or four hours a day. And I think that you can create a real bond with people on a personal level on radio way easier than you can on television. It takes a long time on TV because you're limited to, in most cases, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. And when you factor in commercials, it's really like 22 or 44 minutes, you know? Yeah, I'm. A, by the way, I'm a longtime listener of the Mr. Tony Show, and my sense from him, by the way, is that from a personal satisfaction thing, he likes the radio stuff more. Actually, it is more satisfying, I think, because again, it's just the personal touch, right? So I've done radio both nationally twice and locally now uh, a couple of times, and I just think locally, I tend to enjoy it a little more because I think there's a bigger impact that you can have on a specific community. Not to say that you can't have an impact nationally. I think someone like Dan Levitard particularly has done a, an extraordinary job of extraordinary. doing that, right? Yep. With him and his crew. Um, and, but I just think locally it's easier to kind of impact the people that, you're li- that are listening to you on a daily basis. And I, I just feel that maybe that's kind of the way Tony feels as well. I don't know Tony at all, actually. Uh, obviously, the guy's an icon, and, and I wish, uh, you know, I could have, uh, you know, a quarter of the career the guy's had. But, but I think if I had to guess, that's probably a big reason as to why he prefers radio. Yeah, so um, do, do you, uh, and, and if, if this is not something that you can answer, that's fine, but, like, do you have any idea how many people listen to you you know, linear on the old fashioned radio or even Sirius XM satellite, that kind of stuff versus, you know, streaming and podcasts? I don't know the exact numbers, um, but I know that on linear, it just depends. Like, obviously, you know, the sports seasons fluctuate the audience some uh, as far as the totals. But I'd say somewhere about, you know, any given month, there's about a a loyal 150,000 people, maybe more, you know, listening on a regular basis, somewhere between 120, 150,000. Obviously, peak times, you know, when uh, things are, are really booming in L.A., like let's say the Lakers made the finals, it'd probably be <laughs> over 200,000. Um, you know, when the Dodgers are in the World Series, those numbers creep up as well. But I would say generally somewhere between 120, you know, 125, 130, maybe to 150 on the high end for just a regular time of the year without anything out of the ordinary as far as the teams are concerned locally. That's about accurate as far as the amount of people listening uh, lit on terrestrial radio. Right. And then, you know, you probably factor in, you know, another couple of, you know, if I had to guess, probably another like 40 or 50,000, you know, maybe uh, on uh, whether it's uh, podcast or, or streaming. Like that's probably my guess. Another, you know, probably about half or maybe 40% of the terrestrial audience is listening on one of the digital uh, versions of it. So uh, not, not to make you switch gears to actual sports, but uh, from, a, from a timeline horizon, w- like on the calendar, what year do you think maybe that year it will be possible that the Lakers will be in the finals? 
<laughs> well, listen, man, I actually thought they could get to the conference finals this year, but boy, was I wrong. A lot of people. Um, you weren't alone I, in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I just believe that a healthy LeBron James can drag almost any team to the conference finals. And I may be stubborn about this. Had they been healthy and gotten into the postseason, I could see them having a similar run to Portland right now just because right. they have LeBron. Right. Um, but that didn't happen, so that's the reality of it. But this summer is huge for them. I think this summer is um, you know, the biggest summer the Lakers have had in a really, really long time because there's no guarantee that any of these big-name guys are going to come join LeBron. But I think it's more about, if I'm the Lakers at least, it's more about names and not games. Or pardon me games not name right because i just think you need to build a team now that fits around lebron james and they certainly weren't capable of doing that last season from uh you you're you're in la you like experience and you're in la on the radio um what's the truth behind la the la market's interest in nfl football involving the rams and the chargers it's growing i think the rams going to the super bowl has certainly changed the dynamic some the way i would say la sports uh, the hierarchy, the pecking order goes is you could talk Lakers all day, every day. Right. Okay. They are the clear number one. They're the Yankees basically, or the Cowboys in right, Texas, right. right? They're that. Uh, I would say the Dodgers are a clear number two. Uh, I think though they would be more popular if they didn't have this strange carriage deal that no, they have, no. where basically if you don't have spectrum sports, you which is uh, the old time Warner. Yeah. You, you don't get it. I have direct TV. Um, and I'm not giving up direct TV. So I, uh, I can only watch them when they're playing national games or if I happen to be out at a restaurant or a bar, you know, I'll, I'll glance up at what's going on and, you know, I can watch highlights and things of that nature. I think that, uh, there's plenty of ways to catch up, but yeah, I think that because of that, they're limited in some ways and it's also baseball, but I will say this people here do care about baseball. Like it's one of the few markets where you can actually talk baseball on the radio and there is some interest in it. Um, I would say the Rams have become a clear number three. I think the Clippers are in that kind of range, too, though their audience is more niche, but growing. And uh, I think USC football could fluctuate back into that three spot, but they've had a rough couple of years. But that's a lot, you know, based on a a lot of tradition. Um, But at the end of the day, I just think that if they're not playing uh, to the level that they were a couple of years ago with Sam Darnold or they're not in contention for championships like Pete Carroll had them, I, I just think that there are challenges to this town because there's a lot of options in yep. sports and certainly outside of sports. Yeah. So um, how much mileage can you, can you get on your radio show out of stuff like uh, UCLA's uh, coaching search struggles? Not much. I mean, maybe if I was, dis- you know, if I was discussing like a percentage of how we would discuss it per day, it may come up a couple of times. I don't even know if we dedicate a full segment to it. Maybe one day, like in the heat of it, um, but it would come up a number of times, maybe for a couple of minutes here and there. So I don't know, maybe less than 5% of the, of the show or 5% of a particular show would be dedicated to that. I think when Lonzo was there, people were really interested in UCLA basketball because they were on national television all right. the time. Again, I, I think that you can, because it involves the casual fan really kind of getting behind them. I think that that changes the dynamics some here because LA is kind of a strange town in this sense. Um, and maybe because I grew up in Miami, which is similar, I, I can kind of get my head, wrap my head around it a little bit, is that it's transient, yet also strangely parochial. Um, the people who are from here want to talk about what's going on here and are super adamant about talking about what's going on here. And 
they will question you if you are from the outside and you have to win them over. And it's not easy. And I think for the most part, I've been able to do that in three years. But there's still people, you know, I mean, look, it's Twitter, right? Like there's never everyone who's, you know, there's never anything unanimous. No one's ever happy. And there's the occasional like, what do you know? You're not from here. You know what I'm saying? But um, I think there's some of that. And look, Miami was like that, too, in a lot of ways. And it was very transient and also parochial. But L.A. being so much bigger, um, I think that and having so much more ground to cover from a sports perspective that I think that it just it's a much more enormous task. Um, but it is a, a fun town in that way where you can kind of mix it up with the talk. Um, you can kind of do the national stuff because there's enough people here from other places that care. Uh, but you have to make sure that you're playing the hits, man. That's just the way it works in radio. It's no different in television. I mean, if you watch our shows, um, what it's like the shows that I do, whether it's Around the Horn or when I do Highly Questionable, uh, though that show obviously is, uh, is, is it's kind of got its own life. <laughs> Uh, but at least their a, their a block is very similar to the other shows. Like all our shows are similar in that sense. We're playing the hit as to what's important right. uh, or what we feel like is important to the sports fan, you know, and that's kind of our job, right? Like that's the mantra of ESPN to, to serve sports fans everywhere. Right. So we try our best to kind of do that. And, you know, the radio side is no different, even though it can be uh, tinkered with a little bit for the, the local outfits. So before moving to, to L.A. in uh, 2013, had you ever, ever lived outside of the East Coast time zone before? I did. I briefly lived in Los Angeles. I worked for Fox Sports Radio at the time um, when my mid-20s, I, uh, nice. I did their overnight, late-night overnight show, and um, it was a blast. But I didn't live in L.A. full-time. I was living in Miami and living in L.A. part-time. Uh, it was a hell of a ride, right? Like, I was <laughs> in my mid-20s, and I could live in Los Angeles. And at that time, Fox Sports Radio uh, is owned by iHeart, which used to be Clear Channel. Right. And uh, they would put me up in a hotel for as long as I wanted. Like I was literally living the LA lifestyle of, hey, I'm living in a hotel. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, it, it was strange. And then I would go back to Miami. Um, and, uh, you know, so I got to kind of live the bi-coastal life for a couple of years. It's actually where I met my wife. Um, she's from out here in LA. I met her at that time. So, so uh, as a sports fan, as a as a fan who likes to watch sports on TV, uh, separate from any career opportunities, like could you see yourself ever moving back to the East Coast and having to live with, you know, games that end at 1 a.m.? I mean, look, Robert, as the million dollar man Ted DiBiase said, there's always <laughs> a price, right? Uh, ah. But uh, I, I would say this. I would find it very hard at this point. I as I'm here now, and I'm a 41-year-old man with kids, I certainly enjoy the fact that the latest the games tend to end are 10.30. Right. Uh, barring a quadruple, over, right. quadruple yep. overtime game between the Blazers and Nuggets, yeah, but, which ended around 11.15, yep. uh, most games are done by 10.30. Sunday night football is over at 8.30. Like, you could go have dinner afterwards if you want. Um, college football starts at 9 a.m., uh, you know, the Hawaii game is, is done at like, you know, 11 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's a pretty great life if you're a sports fan. Uh, part of me thinks I didn't really take full advantage of it in my 20s when I was living out here part-time. Because I just think in your 20s, you think differently. Like, yep. I was a single guy who wanted to be out and about and living that single life. 
and I was hanging out in LA bars or I was flying to Vegas because it's only an hour away and you can get a flight on Southwest Airlines, I believe at the time for like $59 one way. <laughs> um, so like, you know, it was just a different lifestyle, but as I've gotten older, oh man, I appreciate it a ton because yeah, it, it's just, it, it's hard. I was just on the East coast to do highly questionable last week. And I was sitting there watching those games in my hotel room. And I was like, and I had a cold <laughs> and I'm like, man, I am miserable. Like, how is this thing still? Um, so yeah, living on the West coast, if you're a sports fan, I recommend it to everyone, at least for a little while, though it'll be hard to go back. That's for sure. So, you know, with, I'm going to ask you to put on a, a sports business hat, even if you feel like you're un, un, unqualified, just what's your, what's your general take on all of the stuff that's available now in terms of various OTT services and things you may have never even heard of that are streaming sports. And then you've got all the, the, the zones and other stuff that are throwing real money uh, at, at things. As you just look around the sports media landscape and all the things that have changed really since you've been in LA, like what's your reaction to all that? Well, as someone who is a talent, I think it's great because <laughs> obviously there's more options for everyone. And I think that the more work that's available for people, the better. Um, I think we live in a, in a time where Robert, we've had more quality work from all sorts of different outlets than we've ever had. Unfortunately, there's also the bottom part of that, like the bottom 10% of it where it's, there's some drivel and dreck. Um, and I don't, and I don't mean that in just the quality, but just the type of content that's being put out there. Right. But I think I've always been a firm believer that the cream rises to the top and smart gets rewarded and interesting gets rewarded. And we've seen that all over the place, whether it's what we're doing at our shop, whether it's what you know Fox is doing at their shop, um, whether it's the zone, um, all these different digital properties. Look at what we're cultivating at ESPN Plus with Katie Nolan. I don't even know Katie, but I know that show is really good. Um, and and I just think there's a lot of things that we're doing there on that platform, like Toby Detail, the stuff with Peyton Manning. Like all that stuff is quality stuff. And I just think that it allows people to find more quality work. So for me, I think as a consumer, uh, I think it's fantastic because everything is at my fingertips now. Um, I, from a business perspective, I'm curious to see how much of it survives because let's face it, not everything survives, yep. right? Like at the end of the day, as things, as time evolves, there are going to continue to be haves and have nots, right? There are going to be things that work and don't work, um, but I think that at least the players that I just mentioned right there, ESPN, you know, Fox, the major networks, I think DAZN has shown that at least globally they've made a huge impact and their business model works and they feel that that same business model and approach will work in the U.S. And, and I don't see why not. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I know John Skipper well. I met John Skipper when I worked for him. Uh, he was a nice man to me. Yep. Um, and, and I believe, uh, you know, that, that, he's latched on to something that, that clearly works. So I, I just think it's, it's really smart. I, I think that it allows people to create more, which I think is, is good for people in my business. Um, you know, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bill Simmons and what he's created at the sure. ringer too. I just think having all these options are good for consumers and certainly good for, for fans and talent alike. I think that there's just a lot of options out there 
that benefit the landscape, uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, if not all of them, as many of them as possible, stay afloat and are able to continue doing the good work that they're doing. So, I, you know, I've been following the TV industry going on, I guess, 13 years. And since the time I started, you know, people have been saying TV is dying and probably 30 years before that they were, they've been saying it. Uh, so you, so I don't know if you run into all the TV is dying people. I run into these people regularly and, uh, I just wonder like, how do you reconcile that with the actual real life response you get after having been on, uh, around the horn or highly questionable? I think for me, it's a little different. I think because what we just talked about, right. A lot of this content is being repurposed on other platforms sure. that you're still getting the same interactions. You're just receiving them in different ways. So maybe somebody doesn't watch highly questionable or around the horn or even an NBA game that I do on the sidelines. Well, that's different. Actually, I'll take that back, but let's just stick with the talk shows for a second. Right? So the shows I generally do are the jump around the horn and highly questionable. Right? Um, maybe someone's not watching those, um, live, but they may be watching it on their DVR. They right. may be watching it on a re-air uh, on ESPN. They may be watching uh, the digital form of it on the app, right? Um, we, we, we have an archive of those shows on the app, on Watch ESPN and um, on ESPN Plus. And, or maybe they're listening to it in audio form on podcasts. I know plenty of people that do that too. Um, you know, and people have been doing that since PTI uh, yep. has been doing it for you know, well over a decade. So I think that there's still a way to reach people. And actually, I feel like there's more ways to reach people that the audience has grown. It may not have grown necessarily on linear television. It's, it's just grown in other ways, again, that people can receive it. So at least someone like me, um, when I say stuff and it resonates, I still get the same reaction. I just get it. I don't get it all at the same time, right? So when I first started on ESPN uh, six years ago, and I, let's say I would do first take, and I would say something about whatever the topic was, most of my interaction would be in real time or the rear. And now the interaction I'm getting on social media can be days later in some cases. And it just constantly uh, trickles in as opposed to it just kind of coming in a huge tidal wave. After you've appeared on whether it's the jump or HQ or around the horn, um, do, you, do you get a palpable sense that, you know, you were on TV and you know it from your social media or, or is that kind of like, you don't, you don't really notice that. Uh, no, you notice it. You notice it because at the end of the day, sports fans, and this is what keeps us all in business are really passionate yeah. about their teams or, or individual players. Cause what I've noticed over the years is that younger people are more inclined to be fans of individual players because of all the player movement we've had over the years. And if you say something bad about a player, you know, or not bad, but you're just constructive or, you know, some sort of criticism about a player, you know, <laughs> you'll get the, you're a hater, Sedano. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that stuff will still come at you. Uh, so I do feel like, yes, you're still going to have some of that. You're still going to get interaction. I think that the other day when I did Around the Horn, right, my, I won Around the Horn and my FaceTime was about literally a friend of mine, my neighbor as a kid who I grew up with, who we went you know, we went to grade school and high school uh, basically together, passed away that week. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of remember the good times with him. And I talked about how we play wiffle ball in the front yard or play football on the street. And, yeah, in the immediacy of it, I got people who sent me nice things, which is rare on Twitter. Yeah, it was a great, um, it was a great, like, it truly was a great FaceTime. Thank you. And, um, you know, so, yeah, the interaction is still coming. Like, I don't think there's any question. 
uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Robert, it just, it, it's not a tidal wave anymore. It's just coming. Um, it's a constant stream of people coming your way just at different times. And sometimes it can even take a day as people are catching up on whatever content it is they want to, they want to take on on that particular day. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. So can, can you speak publicly without getting in trouble? Like, of the attempts that the producers of Highly Questionable go through to make sure that the guest on the show gets a uh, gotcha by the poppy handshake. <laughs> I can talk about that a little bit. So I can't give away all the secrets, but let's just say we tape the show, right? <laughs> and sometimes when you're taping the show, we, we do a couple of different takes on uh, throughout the show, right? right like right. sometimes, um, and it's not just, it's all of us, right? Like sometimes, Dan will be like, hey, I think I could say that better. Let me do it again. Or the person in the third chair will have a similar reaction like, hey, let me let me pick it up from here and, and we'll just kind of put it together so we can put forward the best the best, um, you know, opinion possible. Right. Um, and then with Poppy, we do that, too. We kind of we do a couple of different jokes and um, and we see what sticks. And look, Eric Rideholm is the best in the business at producing sports television. Uh, I would say maybe even television period. And, um, and he's the brains behind all of it. Like whether it's us, whether it's Poppy. Um, but to answer your question, let's just say occasionally they're a little sneaky on the way they, uh, they get the third, the person in the third chair. I'm just saying that. Okay. I won't necessarily give up, uh, you know, the secret sauce, but let's just say occasionally ride home and company are a little sneaky on how they get you. So, so basically they're awful, but they're not so awful that you don't want to be back on the show. Oh, man, it's the most fun show on the network. And look, that's not to take a shot at anyone. Like, I love the jump. I love Around the Horn. I love literally every show that I'm a part of. But that show, it's also a little different for me. I've known Dan for almost two decades, right? I've known the father for almost two decades. Right. So at least when I'm on the show, it's literally like I'm on with my family. Right. So it's a different level of fun. And there's not a show that I'm on that I laugh more um, than that show. So we literally, the other day, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, were on the show, and you know, in the B block, we watch those videos, like the fun videos. Sure. And we spent like five or six minutes, Robert, trying to do one video, because <laughs> all we were doing was laughing. Like literally five or six minutes, and we couldn't knock out the one video. We eventually got it done. But that's just the type of fun you have on the show. It's really unlike anything. And I've done them all now, almost at this point, right? Um, I've done, as I mentioned, first take back in the day, his or hers. I've been on Sports Center, The Jump. You know, I used to do Mike and Mike, whatever. All these shows um, get up, right? I did get up yep. once. Like, there's no show that's like Highly Questionable. None. The only show I haven't done is PTI, I think. Um, and, and Highly Questionable is unlike anything at the network and everyone that does the show um would also tell you the same thing i can't think of anyone who hasn't had fun uh guesting on around or excuse me guesting on highly questionable i, I mean and if that person exists I, I can't imagine that they're still at espn no no absolutely not i mean the old man is a riot um you know the, again you're talking about working with ride home and his crew um which i'm lucky to work with you know twice uh, you know, or on two different shows with the Around the Horn crew, too. And, and you know, they're the best in the business at doing it. And, and Dan, look, man, I, I'm, I'm coming to the table here and telling you I'm completely biased on Dan. As I mentioned, <laughs> we're practically family. You know what I mean? Like, right. we've, we've done Christmases together, holidays, weddings, funerals, you name it. 
Um, but I think Dan is the most brilliant guy in all of sports. Like, so, you know, you couple all that together. I mean, there's no way you can't have fun doing that show. Yeah. He was a great columnist as well. He, he, Dan, Dan is a, is a special talent for sure. Oh man, listen, I actually said this. So I did, you know, he's got his podcast network now, right? Yep. Mina Mina Kimes is on that network, I think. Yeah. Mina Kimes, Sarah Spain, Marty Smith is on that network. And then Stu Gotts, obviously. Obviously. Uh, he has his own, and then the shipping container, which is the crew that works on Dan's show, has their own podcast now too. And I just taped an episode with them, <laughs> and 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 I talked about it when I was in town. We we did an episode, and I talked to them about it. Like we were talking about Dan writing, and you know I'm old enough to remember Dan being the youngest sports columnist in America and being great at it. Yeah. Like as great as Dan is on radio and television, and again, I think he's the best doing it. Um, you know, Dan was like Mozart when he wrote, and that's how good he was uh, when he was writing on a regular basis. And when he still, you know, decides to dust off the uh, the laptop, uh, he's still the best at doing that stuff. And you know, twenty years from now, when there's there's some kind of a of a you know Jim Miller esque look back at ESPN or or, or the the whole sports media landscape, the uh, the the Lebitar chapters of, of of that book are going to be very good. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. Dan changed the culture at ESPN in a lot of ways because, um, particularly on ESPN radio, ESPN radio was, prior to Dan, was a little stiff is the best way I would describe it. And he's allowed, because he came in with local radio type sensibilities, which are different, um, you know, the national radio sensibilities and the sensibilities of let's just, let's make this fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll mix in the sports, but let's have fun first. That's the most important aspect of this. Cause if I'm laughing, the audience is going to be laughing with us. And I think that, you know, in some way, shape or form, all the shows on ESPN radio have taken a little bit um, of that from Dan's show. And I think it's made the network a lot better overall. Absolutely. So if, uh, if, if you had to, to pick, if, if you could pick anything on the board, would you pick what you're doing right now? Would you pick something else? What does it look like? So here's the thing, Robert, like I have over the last 18 months, the company has allowed me to literally do pretty much everything I want to do. Um, 18 months ago, I was doing a, uh, I was doing the local radio show. Um, I was doing it in morning drive with Keyshawn Johnson. And then since then I'm doing afternoons and it's my own show uh, after Marcellus Wiley's departure. Um, I was added to NBA sidelines 18 months ago. Uh, you know, NBA has been my thing before arriving at ESPN. Uh, I did, I worked on the Miami Heat's broadcast for Fox sports. Right. Uh, you know, I did, you know, I did their studio stuff for their road games. I was also an analyst. So I kind of did that hybrid role that I do now on the jump, basically, uh, there on a local level on their, on their game broadcast. So, you know, the NBA has been in my blood for a long time. I've covered the league very closely since 2003, which um, worked out pretty well for me because that was also the year that he drafted Dwayne Wade and it's kind of led <laughs> to a fun career uh, since then. Um, but the uh, I'm doing everything I want to do. I, I've got my own radio show again. Um, I've got a piece of NBA on sidelines, which, I, you know, the fact that a guy like Tim Corrigan, who I think is the best in the business at producing NBA broadcasts, and arguably the best in the business at producing a game broadcast, uh, period, um, I think, it, you know, to ha- have him allow me into his family is tremendous. And the same thing with Rachel. Like, uh, honestly, I should take a step back here because I don't think any of that stuff happens 
if it's not for Rachel allowing me to be part of her jump family. And I've told her this um, a million times, and I'm super thankful to her. Um, you know, much like I'm thankful to Dan in a lot of ways for kind of helping me and always kind of being like a big brother, I feel like Rachel's kind of the big sister for me. Her putting me on the jump and then allowing me to kind of become the de facto um, fill-in host when she's out. Right. I feel like really opened up some eyes around the company about what it is I'm capable of doing on television. And it got me the opportunity to fill in for Mike Greenberg on get up on uh, new year's day and has allowed me to, you know, kind of flourish in a role on NBA sidelines as a reporter. Um, it has allowed me for NBA to allow me to do play by play uh, on summer league games or the G league. Um, uh, you know, uh, they had a G league event in Vegas called the winter showcase because those events don't, ask for a traditional play-by-play guy. They ask for someone who can host, basically, while also doing play-by-play. So those opportunities, I feel like, have stemmed from my appearances on The Jump and people just being able to see what I can do uh, on a show like that, where I can be the hybrid host who can have an opinion uh, at the same time. And at the end of the day, Robert, you know, I'm one of these guys that wants to work. And that's basically the message I've sent to all my bosses, basically dating back to my time in Bristol, that I'm not afraid to work. Like, don't, don't worry about asking me to do a lot, you know, because I'm willing to do it. And if I can't do it, then I'll let you know. But for the most part, I, I want to take on as much as possible because I like the variety, right? I jokingly say to my wife, I said, you know, I'm monogamous in our relationship. And, um, you know, but at work, I get to uh, not be monogamous because I get to serve many masters. I get to do the radio. I get to do sidelines. I get to be on shows like The Jump or Highly Questionable Around the Horn. You know, you name it. And, you know, do Sports Center stuff. Um, and I, I just think I don't get bored that way. Um, in a perfect world, would there be a day, you know, down the road? You know, would there be something that would pique my interest? Maybe, uh, Robert. But look, I, I think that I, I feel like at our company, we're in a really good place right now where we have so many people um, that do the job that I do and do it better than me and have done it longer than me, um, whether that's Rachel or Michelle Beadle, um, you know, on NBA or, you know, hosting in other capacities like Mike Greenberg uh, or like Reese Davis does, right, or Chris Fowler used to do. Like we have so many different people at the company that are so uber talented yeah. that I'm still, like I said, a newbie at this. You know, I, I feel like I'm getting better every day, but I get that this is the worldwide leader in sports and everybody here that's ahead of me at all these um, shows deserve to be ahead of me. And, um, you know, I'm young enough that, you know, this company will continue to develop stuff and hopefully one day maybe that leads to something that works with my skill set. And if it doesn't, and this is what I do for the rest of my life, and I get to host a radio show in the second largest market in the country and still work on NBA broadcasts and work on these great shows with these great people. Man, I've lived a charmed life already. Anything beyond this is gravy, you know? So how many, uh, how many, how many games, NBA games did you do uh, sidelines on this year or, or around how many? Uh, I would say about 20. And um, there may be one more depending on uh, how far these series are extended. Um, and then once the conference finals start, we're, you know, with, with our, we go with our great A team of Mike Breen, 
uh, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and Lisa Salters. And then they had Doris to the second sideline or the primary. Her and Lisa shared the sidelines, I guess, during the finals because Doris is still doing um, you know, commentary as an analyst uh, through the second round. So I, maybe she's added in the conference finals. I don't know. I'm, I may be wrong about that. But I know for sure, obviously, she's on the finals broadcast with Lisa as well. Right, so I'll get you out of here with the with the real sports prediction. So, who's in the the conference finals, the finals, and who wins the championship? So, I think it's going to be Toronto and Milwaukee in the East. I think the Warriors squeak by and they play the Blazers, and I think it's going to be Milwaukee and the Warriors in the finals. And man, let me tell you, I'm tempted to pick the Bucks in that scenario. Um, I, I think that 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 series would go seven games. I would probably favor the Warriors just on experience, but I, it, it wouldn't be by much. Like I, like I told you, I'm tempted to take the Bucks to win the whole thing. So I talked to your friend Ryan Glassbeagle with the big lead earlier today, and he predicts the same final, and he takes the Bucks in seven. Well, he's a Bucks homer. <laughs> yes, of course. About him all the yeah, time Wisconsin, anyway. Wisconsin. But you, you know what? But I'll give him credit. He's been a Bucks homer all his life. So you know what? Uh, he deserves to have some uh, some time in the sun here, certainly. And, uh, you know, give him credit. I, look, I'm, I think it's a great story. Um, I know that there are people that say, well, Giannis is an American and it may not translate. Dude, that kind of freakish <laughs> talent, that translates. I don't care what anybody says. Like, that guy that's is why, a joy to watch play basketball. Uh, that's really why I hope they definitely make the finals, because, and I hope the, and I hope it's against the Warriors, because, like, I want people to see him. I think a lot of, a lot of people have no idea who he is still. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, who's, look, man, the regular person, like, I'm a basketball dork, okay? So I'm watching games all day, every day. Right. But I don't think most people are watching Milwaukee Bucks basketball, even though we did uh, a really good job of, I think, this year highlighting them on national games, whether it was us or Turner, or, um, you know, on ABC and ESPN, on TNT and on NBA TV. But I still think you're right. I, I still think that the general public doesn't know um, but if they face off against the Warriors, you know, this juggernaut dynasty, uh, I think that it would be a hell of an introduction to the rest of the casual sports fans for sure. Uh, personally, I hope it plays out like that. George, thanks for taking the time. This has been a pleasure. Robert, anytime. Thank you again for having me on. I'm a big fan of your work and uh, appreciate you having me on. And hopefully we can do it again soon.